Welcome to this week's UK Sports Chat podcast. Uh, I'm Joe Williams. Our guest today is Nick Knight. Nick is a sports podiatrist from uh, the Southampton area. He has his own clinic in in Romsey and he specialises in helping people return from injury and keeping you active. In-house, they have uh, 3D gait analysis, they have their own gym and they have a team of podiatrists and exercise rehab instructors. Um, as with any medical advice, um, please do see somebody locally um, if you have anything, any injuries which are similar to what I talked about today on the podcast, during which we speak about uh, biomechanics, forefoot and rear foot running. Does it matter? Um, we speak about barefoot running. Uh, we speak about orthotic insoles, gait analysis. Have a listen. There's loads of interesting stuff on here. Please comment on our social channels. Um, and yeah, we look forward to hearing what you think. Welcome, Nick. Morning. How are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Sort of um, trying to recover from a cold at the moment, but yeah, it's, um, there's lots it, of it going around. Uh, it, there is. It, it has meant that. So I, I suffer with exercise-induced asthma um, as well. So it does mean that I um, haven't been able to run or play hockey or do any exercise this week. So I, I get a little grumpy when I can't do that. But hey ho. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> um, so is, is hockey your? Is that your chosen sport? Hockey or? is my main sport. Um, I used to run. I used to run competitively. Um, I'm an ex hundred meter runner. Wow. Um, yeah, it was. It, it, I'm not the most skillful hockey player, but even at the age of 31, not many people could still keep up with me. Um, so wow. it, it's I've I've got the pace. Um, so I actually now I run more now for fitness. I don't I do the odd park run every now and then, but I, I do have issues with pacing myself um, because I've got that sprint mentality. It's like go hard or go home. So I'm like gun home and absolutely everything yeah. um so but i, I started I've, I've gone sorry i, I started off saying oh, I'll, ne- I'll never run like a half marathon or anything like that and then i like i go for like a 15k run thinking well actually if i only run five more k that's a half marathon then once i do that i'm like well actually i can double that and do a marathon so i'll end up doing a marathon at some point in my life um but... yeah i do you know we, i when i used to uh Back when I worked in a court, a big corporate, we we had a group who, who did the local half marathon, and one of the one of the um, guys who took part was exactly like that. He was a sprinter. He was he was really quick actually, and he did the whole half marathon. He'd sprint, literally as fast as he could for as long as he could, and then he'd just walk a bit until he caught his breath, and then he'd sprint again. Um, and he was he was a naturally fit guy, but he he did it in under one forty, if I remember correctly. Wow, lightly. it's not bad. Yeah. I remember so, um, when I started doing park run, I done a little experiment. I done one just running, and then I done one where I just almost like an interval session. And the session I done the interval session, I actually got around quicker because that's just me. I'm just a sprinter. Um, yeah. I remember when I was at school, there's a video from Sports Day that I won my hundred meter race by fifty meters. Um, so oh, wow. was... <laughs> you were speedy then. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was, um, and I, I just fell out of that because I um, the reason I got into hockey is I had a sprint coach down in Portsmouth, mm-hmm. uh, and I had an argument one evening. Uh, okay. and, being, and being a typical teenager, uh, I went to school the next day, 
moaned to my PE teacher about it, and he t- he put a hockey stick in my hand, and I um never went back, yeah. never went back. And a similar experience with cycling, so I cycle as well. And I used to do a lot of downhill racing when I was younger. And I remember when I was at the when I was at the bike show years ago when it was at the NEC, um, British Cycling were there, and they set up a a a turbo, a bike on a turbo, and they had a simulator track. And I think I was about 13, 14 at the time, but I set the fastest time of the day. And British Cycling were like, oh, do you want to come to Manchester and do some stuff? And me being like, a, again, to 14, I was like, oh, no, I'd rather throw myself off a mountain on my bike than cycle around a track. So <laughs> some decisions I made early on, I sat thinking, did I make the right decisions then? Or have I just been a shroppy teenager? It was... So, yeah, I, I just got that natural gift for speed. Um, it's just I'm just born with it. Just yeah, fortunate. Yeah. But you'll have to test that out over over a longer distance run then soon. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's my issue because I was really quick. I I I didn't lose many races, um, so that does mean when I do my triathlons, I don't I don't come near the top at all. Um, and when I when I'll go and do half marathons, I know I won't be the and that's just hard for me to accept. Um, but I just got to get over that myself really. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that competitive nature drives drives you in more aspects of your of your life you know that transfers people who are motivated in sport i find you know I look at my friends they're motivated in other areas of their life as well yes um i was just looking at your twitter i, I believe that congratulations are in order um you've, you've completed just master of science in podiatry with clinical biomechanics i have indeed that was a that was a long slog um and it was a really eye-opening journey um, though I did realise that when I started the journey, I was working in the NHS, and when I finished the journey, I left. I've, I've left the NHS, set up my own clinic, and got two children now as well. So it's like um, a lot. A lot changed over that time. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm dyslexic as well, so that whole process I found really difficult. Wow. But it was um, the research we done in it and the dissertation project um was really eye-opening and it's a really really good experience tough but i'm glad i pushed myself just to get through that yeah, yeah so that's that same characteristic isn't it that competitive driven self because that's that's amazing how long have you been studying then how, how long does it took uh, i think it took me about five years actually part-time to do so it was that the start of your journey to become a podiatrist then, or was that just the master? No, just the master's. So I'd done my bachelor's, my BSc. Uh, I finished that in 2009. Okay. Um, and then I, then from that, I was, I was going to start the master's in 2000, late, mid-2012. Um, but i really fortunate and lucky is, to get part of the um, Paralympic medical team at the London 2012 Olympic Games. Um, so I postponed the year. So I started my master's, I think it was around 2013, 2014-ish. Um, and then I, the, the big thing I'd done wrong with through the master's process, I took a year out um, from it. So then the motivation, and once you took a year out, the motivation of trying to get back into it was was hard. But I am... Um, it was tougher. Um, luckily, good, massively good support from my wife and family to, to help me just push through the process so it's nice that it's all over and done with now yeah that's great you've got that how old are your children um two and a bit and 13 weeks 
Oh, right. You, you <laughs> Letlands, very yeah, Letlands. Yeah, yeah. Very, very small at the moment. Wow. You are a busy boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so t- 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 tell us about 2012. What was that? That you were involved in the Paralympics? Yeah, so I was based as part of the podiatric medical team. So I was based in the polyclinic. Mm-hmm. um within the um games so it was in the clinic we had the clinic had its own a e its own gp surgery uh, on site we had the sports doctors we had the physios we had all the blood doping team um we had some orthotists there as well um who has opticians were there dentists we had a couple of mri scanners a ct we had an ultrasound scanner in every room um, it was just we just it was just amazing. So what would happen? An athlete would come in with a problem and describe their problem, and then they get triaged to the right specialty. Yep. Um, and it was just an absolutely amazing experience. Um, it's something that it's it's just one of those experiences that I'd, I will never get an experience like that again in my lifetime because the odds of the Olympics being back in London in my lifetime yep. are slim to none. I think. Um, so it was it was it was amazing and but the one thing i did learn athletes are really poor timekeepers um, <laughs> so i got the, the only frustrating there's two frustrating things about it one was um i got some tickets to go and watch ellie simmons um in one of her races where she won a gold medal yeah um but i had a an athlete due to come and see me so i gave the tickets away and the and the athlete actually turned up an hour and a half late, so I could have actually oh, gone. You could have watched it. I could have gone. I'm like, Rrr. and then the other thing was the polyclinic. I could see the Olympic Stadium from my treatment window, um, <laughs> and so I, at times I felt so close but so far because I'm like I can hear the atmosphere from the stadium, I can physically see it, but I can't get in there. Um, who was it? Who was it who made you miss the race? No, uh, it, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He was a Turkish athlete. <laughs> So, yeah. but I won't name names. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, she's amazing as well, Ali Simmons, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing. And do you know what the um, the great thing about the 2012 games were? Everyone was saying that Britain won't do it because everyone think the British just mess things up. Um, but actually, it's one of those. That I was speaking to people that were like who couldn't get tickets for the Olympics, then went to watch the Paralympics, and it was. I think it was the only Olympics in Paralympics in history to sell out and I think then what it's done then for Paralympics uh, um, sort of disability sports yes. afterwards is absolutely amazing um, you look at the amount of clubs have, have now come out and access for people with disability to sport now is so much easier and so much better um, yes. and I think that was one amazing thing um, that, that that come out of it yeah it's a great it's a great legacy of it yes cool okay great so so you're um master of science in podiatry with clinical biomechanics so uh, yeah obviously that comes in handy for, for uh, a bit of a mouthful <laughs> yeah so what's your give us your take on some running topics then so um what about forefoot versus midfoot versus rear foot? They used to be really topical, didn't they? Oh, it does is. It, does, it, does it matter, is it? Um, the short answer, no, it doesn't. Um, but the long answer is, for me, 
I'm not. So there is no evidence to support that running four foot will reduce your risk of injuries or running on the hill will increase your injuries. The evidence shows that the injury rate is the same. You just get different injuries. Um, so you, you, the amount of load going through the body is a, a constant. You just put different loads in different places. Um, and for me, it's not about how your foot lands. It's where your foot lands in relation to your center of mass. Okay. Uh, and when I mean about the center of mass is, is, is sort of if you were to stand up and um, almost you had an invisible line, your central mass would be just sat just in front of sort of your um, pelvis and, and, and hip region. And for me, that's where I want the foot landing in, in, in my runners. So, and I don't mind if people heel strike, mid foot strike, fore foot strike, um, because, and the big the myth is, is that also I see some runners in clinic where their one foot does one thing, the other foot does another. Yeah. And people have this conception that if you forefoot strike, you're always going to land under your central mass. Well, I can show you data from loads of patients who overstride with a forefoot landing as well. And okay. and the other thing is with regards to all of this is that actually the majority of runners think they know how they run. However, there was some research, and I can't remember. I think it was a high number. It was either 70 or 80% off the top of my head of runners thought they knew how they run however when they had their gait analyzed they actually didn't run the way they thought they ran so it just goes to show as human beings we're not that reliable in understanding in what we actually do yeah um, so, they, so they thought that they were a, a heel striker for example and they were and they ran on their midfoot is that, yes is yeah that what you mean? yeah exactly so don't get me wrong i I it's for me it's it's all about landing closest to that center of mass. So reducing the overstride, um, I think is more important than how your foot lands. So are there any sort of drills or things that people can do to help improve that then? Or? So yeah, so the big thing to help improve that is actually look at your cadence. So how many steps you take per minute. Okay. People talk about this magic one eighty. Um, again, the magic one eighty is a bit of a myth because. Isn't it? Yeah, the number of steps you take per minute. And a lot of people say everyone must strive to take 180 steps per minute. But the issue with that, the, your cadence is, is personal to you. Um, and how many steps you take per minute largely also depends on your height. Uh, yeah. Also, so it, it's not what not everyone needs to strive to, to 180. Um, so I got some patients who they we resolve their symptoms by increasing their cadence maybe to about 170. I've got some patients, we have to run them at 185. Um, it's all personalised to them to see what they need to do to help bring that, reduce that overstride. But as a rule of thumb, the, the, the biggest win you can have, I think, and the easiest win you can have is, is, in, is work on your cadence. And the beauty of with modern technology now, it is so easy to track. The majority of running watches will will track your cadence um and they they they're quite reliable in that and if you like running with music if you look at spotify and i should i should imagine apple music has the same as well but i i use spotify personally um they they have tracks on beats per minute so you can download playlists that are different sort of beats per minute so then you can then use that for your cadence or if you really want to work it you can download something called a metronome 
um, onto your phone for free from like Google Play or the Apple Store. What's one of them then? Um, so a metronome is basically just a tool that beats a certain amount per minute. So it's literally if you um, musicians use it a lot to learn how to um, play instruments, I believe. Um, but what we use it in clinic for, you basically download this metronome, you set it to say 170 beats per minute, and it will beep at you 170 times in a minute. Um, so that 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 you can use that as well. And there's also for the for the runners that use Garmin. Um, most people don't know, but on your Garmin watch, so your Garmin running specific watches, so this doesn't include like the Vivo Active watches, but these are all more of your um, sort of um, forerunner watches. Forerunner yeah, um, they actually, you can set a cadence range. And I only found this out a few weeks ago, that you can go on there, you can go into the settings, you can set your different cadences, that you the um, cadence range you want, and the, the watch will either beep or vibrate when you go outside of that range. Okay, that's clever. I, d- I think this is something with lots of watches. I mean, Polo and Garmin and Sunto and all the, there's all these different things. And literally, I, I'm guilty of this. I literally press stop and start and <laughs> just yeah. record my run and that is it. And they can do so much for you. Well, I, I only had, I only found out because I was doing some testing for Garmin and one of their uh, reps come down. He's showing me all the stuff the watches can do, and I'm just like, I had no idea all your yeah, watches. I... And and I said to him, I said, why aren't you massively shouting out about did the, the, you can monitor your canes and set yourself an upper and lower limit of what you want it to be? Because for me, as a healthcare professional treating people, if I'm doing any gate reeducation work, nine times out of ten, canes is the first thing I work on, and it's a really useful tool. Um, so I have actually uh, made a little video uh, okay. on my website. This on my YouTube channel. Um, Give it a plug. Where, where can we find it? Um, so if you look for um, NK Sports Podiatry on YouTube, um, I can all, I can give you guys the link as well. Yeah, we can add it um, as well for the podcast. Yeah, um, because my company name is NK Active now, but I. In case, and I don't think I changed it on YouTube yet because I couldn't. Um, but I, I, I can find it for you guys. Yeah, um, we'll add it. We'll add it onto the onto the notes as well, so listeners yeah. can find it. Yeah, and it, I, I think that's just a really useful. Now you may be able to do it on other brands of watches. I don't know. Um, I've only tried it on Garmin, so I can't comment on the others. But yeah, so that's sort of a long-winded way in saying about the um, the midfoot versus forefoot versus rear foot. Um, yeah, but I, I think we get hung up on it a lot, especially when this whole um, barefoot running. Uh, yeah, what about, what about barefoot? What about that then? So again, uh, there's no evidence to suggest that it reduces your risk of injury. You just get different injuries. The injury rate is still the same. Um, so again, I've got no issues. I'm not against barefoot running. Um but it's one of those things, and I'm not, I don't mind people trying it. Don't get me wrong, there are certain conditions. So if people come into me with an Achilles problem, plantar fascia, put it way, I don't transition them into barefoot shoes because, as a rule of thumb, it tends to make those problems worse. The, the problems it can help is people who are running with knee pain. Um, okay. But it, it is, I always advise that it should be at least a three to six months transition period transitioning gradually into those shoes the mistakes people make is they go from wearing their normal trainers one day and then going straight into their barefoot shoes the next day and then wonder why they get an injury 
Um, and and it, it's not because of the shoes. It's just because you you put too much change through the body in a too quick a time. It hasn't had time to adapt to the new loads it's been exposed to. Yes. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Okay. So what, what's the most common and, and preventable injury that you see then in, in, in your ev- everyday hobby? So I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, when you see an elite athlete. So if you've got yeah. an everyday runner or triathlete or cyclist, what, what's, the, what's the kind of things that you so see that really are preventable? There are, I, I think the majority of preventable injuries, I would say, would most probably, I think, be something along the lines of medial tibial stress syndrome, aka shin splints, or Achilles tendinopathy. Now, it, it's obviously, from a medical term, I, don't, I can't use the term preventable because I, I, I can't guarantee I can prevent anything. So I... From my faith, I have to say, um, reduces the risk of injury. But the majority of injuries that I see in clinic are human error. Okay. Um, so a lot of the time, it's people's made an error with their training program. Um, and people have pushed themselves too quickly. They've added too much hill work too quickly. They've increased their mileage too quickly, or they've upped their pace too quickly. Mm-hmm. And I would say that would mostly co- account for a good... 70% of our caseload and that it is just a human error that's why they've got an injury in the first place uh, and from that I would say for us in clinic um, that medial tibial stress syndrome and the Achilles are most probably the most common that we see related to that um, okay. because the people talk about this increasing your activity by 10% um, yeah. as, as a rough rule of thumb um, I have a few issues with that just because if you're just starting running, return increased by ten percent every week when you're doing next to nothing yeah, it mileage. A lot, it? Yeah. It, 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 it takes you forever, and then if you start increasing ten percent when you're running lots of miles, you then make big increases. So I tend to use something called the acute chronic workload ratio okay. instead, which is devised by a exercise physiologist called Dr. Tim Gabbett. And basically, that looks at basically a month's worth of activity, uh, and it basically works at a ratio. And in a nutshell, if the ratio is above 1.2, there's an increased risk of getting an injury. Um, If it's above 1.5, there's a significant risk of getting an injury. But what it does, it helps take a snapshot over time of a a block of training. Um, And it's a really simple tool to use. And again, um, I've put the tool on my website as well um so people can just go on there type in their mileage they've done and then use it to try and then reduce the risk of then getting an injury um so, so go, go back go back for that for me then so i've, I've been out i'm, I'm just starting running I've, yeah what do i need a month's worth of data or how, yeah how does, how does yeah so you need four weeks worth of data and when you calculate it your fourth week is always your highest mileage so if you say you've been running for say you've been running for a year mm-hmm. and you want to look at something, you will then take your your biggest your your data capture set you want to look at, you'll take your biggest month's data, and that'll be week number four, and then you'd backfill it the three weeks previous to that. Um, and that's how you use that 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 tool. So you, you do need to have some data, but what you can use it also for is Possibly, well, why don't people use it as a tool to, well, this is the mileage I'm planning to do. 
actually, is, is this too silly? Uh, am I doing too much? Well, let's have a look. Um, so I tell my patients who are returning back to injury, well, well, we'll give you a guided return to running program, but we'll check it all through the acute chronic workload ratio to make sure we're not going to push you too much um, yeah. too soon. And then once they're back to running, and if they then say, well, I'm going to go run a marathon, well, there are loads of marathon programs out there, but just double check it with the acute chronic workload ratio and make sure that you're planning because doing that, I think you can reduce your risk of then getting injuries. Okay. So to, to play devil's advocate a little bit on that, yeah. then, so I'm, 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 we've, you'll see lots of people this time of year who are maybe training for their first, sometimes it's their first half marathon and then they go, you know, they do that in March and then in April or May, they're doing their, their first marathon. Is, isn't, isn't, aren't they to expect to be, over that 1.2 because they're doing something they've never done before or yeah is there it does that come into it or should they have just took longer to train or what yeah so if you say if you're doing your first half marathon say middle of march and then you then want to do a full marathon at the beginning of april um you could argue that the odds are that's going to be a, a too too quickly stepped increase um, so you are going to be an increased risk of getting an injury. Now, just because you've got an increased risk of an injury doesn't mean everyone is going to get an injury. You get some people who can do that and won't pick up an injury, and that's just um, sort of playing, it's just luck of the draw, um, really. So w- with those, it is important that you sit down. And and th- for me, it's just an odds game. And the way I like to practice is, well, let's try and stack the odds in your favour as best as we can. Yeah. Um, so don't get me wrong, people will do it and people will not get injured from it. Yeah. Um, and they, they're just lucky at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. eventually they're yeah, lucky. Some, some people are more you know, disposed to them. Yeah, to and, uh, yeah it, 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 exactly. And there's, there's loads of other things to take into consideration that the, you keep running workload, doesn't it? It doesn't take into obviously the experience of the runner, your previous running history. So um, I think if you've got a, a complete novice runner, compared to someone who's done 20 marathons in their life, their body is, a, is accustomed to different types of load. So, yeah, um, so yeah it, it, that, that, that is the issue with the acute chronic workload ratio. It doesn't take that into consideration. But as a simple clinical tool, I, I think it's better than 10% rule. Um, yeah. are, are there better things that we could use? Most probably, yes. But I think it's a nice, simple tool to use that's quick and easy. Cool. So if anyone jumps on your website and has a look at that now and they come up with a 1.6 or something, are you on hand on social to answer any questions? Yes, I am indeed, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what, what about um, so going off onto products at the moment? What, what's your opinion on insoles? Because there seems to be at the moment, there's there's off-the-shelf varieties, there's made-to-measure. Yep. So there's no evidence to to suggest that one's better than the other. It's all about getting the right tool for the right job. So for some people, an off-the-shelf set of insoles, or to give them their proper name, orthoses, um, will work perfectly for that individual. What what, Um, what do they do? Ah, now, how long have we got? (laughs) Because if we're being completely honest, we're not entirely sure as healthcare professionals in what they do. The thing they um, don't have to do that a lot of people think do, people get fixated on alignment. So they think, okay, I've got a pronated foot, so a foot that rolls in. I must wear an insole to straighten my foot up. 
Now that is just utter garbage. There okay. is no evidence to support that whatsoever. And it, I'm on a big campaign to try it with other colleagues to try and just eradicate this thought process because insoles don't straighten your body. Um, um, and there are, yeah, it's, and I see it on social. I see different companies always flagging up on my Facebook feed on like, we wear our inner thought and, and everything will be straight and everything will be all wonderful and will cure everything just by straightening your foot up. It's just utter rubbish. Um, so the way I think we need to think about insoles, it, it's a tool to help manage your load. So for example, it's for what we use them in clinic for is it say if you've got uh, a plantar fascia issue or you've got an issue with one of the tendons on the inside of your ankle, we'll use an insole to help offload that structure. Now, the big thing is that you don't know whether you need that long term or whether you need it short term. So actually for us in clinic, the majority of insoles we give people are short term whilst okay. they're then doing exercises to make themselves stronger. And this is another thing we need to get our head around, that insoles can be removed. It's not a life sentence. Um, and a lot of people think, oh, I've got insoles, I can't run without them. Um, well, the majority of our patients, we actually wean them out of their insoles eventually. Don't get me wrong, there are certain types of patients that just need an insole permanently um, to be able to do what they want to do activity-wise. Yeah. Um, but I think as, as a... I, I do believe they are overused and they're often sold as this holy grail and magical tool when they're not. Um, yeah. I, the, the reason I laughed when you, when you said that is um, so I had I had orthotic insoles and I can remember I wore them and wore them and wore them. I literally I'd wear them to run in. I'd swap them over into my everyday trainers because they did help at first. I, I felt I did feel a lot, a lot better wearing them. Um, yeah. And then... And I wore them warm, warm, warm to the point where, like, they were in tatters. They, they were literally in half. And I'd be swapping half an insole from one yeah. shoe into another because I completely believed that, um, you know, that I had to have it, which which is, you know, even saying it out loud seems ridiculous. Um, but I, I, this is stuff I see on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and the, the, the thing I will say about insoles is that if anyone's giving you an insole, you need to ask why. Uh, so this is why I'm, um, you can get an insole from a running shop or things like that, but I'm not overly keen on that because a lot of the time they'll give you an insole for the sake of giving you an insole. Um, but I think when anyone gives you an insole, you have to ask, okay, wh why am I having this? What, what's the reason behind it? If it's just because your foot likes it, look likes it rolls in too much when you're running, well, putting an insole in may not actually change that. So it doesn't really, doesn't really matter. Um, so I, I would encourage runners to ask the question, okay, what's your reasoning behind giving an insult? So every time I prescribe an insult to a patient uh, and a runner, I will explain my thought process to them. Say, this is what we're using the insult. This is why we're going to do it. This is what I aim to try and achieve with it. The, the only snag is, is that every person will react differently to an insult. So that's why we don't really understand fully how they work, because if you were to compare them to a drug and you were to do a scientific experiment, you would have to give, um, if you're doing the drug trial, is you would give all your patients different doses of that drug to get the same effect. So then it makes your trial useless because not one person is taking the same dose of drug.
So it's the same with the insoles that we don't know how everyone's going to react. So I can get 10 patients all come in with plantar fasciitis. They're all a similar age, build, size, running pace, but all 10 of them will have a different experience to insoles. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the bit we can't, we can't predict. Um, and and that's, that's why it gets confusing within the research is mm-hmm. because um, as, as humans, we're reliably unreliable. Um, if we didn't have a human, if we didn't have the brain in the equation, we could use the physics and work out. Um, if it, but because the human brain's involved, that changes the game massively. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a complex topic. It's a topic I'm really passionate about because they can't. The insoles can be massively useful in the right person in the right environment. But as a rule of thumb, I think they're massively overused. Okay. So what about? And this links to that. Then what about gait analysis then? So yeah, gait analysis. So we are again. That's another pet topic of mine because I'm I'm really fortunate to have three um, D gait analysis um, in clinic. I don't know if anyone that goes to was up at the running show um, in January and they saw run three D. That's the system I have in clinic, and I've had it in clinic now for three and a half years. Um, and I think with, with gait analysis, the big thing is, is, is again, knowing what you want to achieve from doing it. What, why are you doing it? What, what, what's the objective and what's the reason um, behind it? And it's, so I, I get a little, a little frustrated um, when I see patients who said, I've had a gait analysis in a running shop. And I'm like, okay, no, you, you haven't had, Okay, you've had someone look at you running, but that's not, in my opinion, a proper gait analysis because, yes, I use 3D gait analysis, but not everyone needs 3D gait analysis, and I'm not saying everyone should have 3D gait analysis. We also have access to normal 2D, which is just your normal camera phone. But for me, it's about the knowledge of the person doing that and linking it back to a problem, which is far more important. Um, so I think that's where obviously my all my training and for me my masters come into play, because it, it's about knowing what to do with that information that you've got, which is key. And I think that's a bit that is missing from people that have to get analysis in the running shop because they just look at one thing, um, and you're not looking at the overall picture. You're not looking at the running history, the running injury pattern, and everything along those lines. So yes, gait analysis can be can be helpful and really useful if it's done by the right person who, who knows and understands what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, so but, that's quite a crucial point, that, isn't it, as well? Yeah. I think you'll find that most, what, what seems to be the pattern is that most people, they might start running or triathlon, um, as they become more informed, they'll say, oh, what's this gait analysis? I need to have gait analysis to get the right shoes. It, it, and you don't. That- is that real is that yeah it's largely a myth if i'm honest the best current evidence suggests that we should be picking our 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 shoes on basis of comfort as long as they fit well and they're comfortable um you you don't need it a full-on gait analysis to pick your trainers um how how do you do that as a new runner then though is it literally just trial and error because you can pick you know, a stability shoe and not get on with it and then yeah. pick a different style. And so my advice of, yeah, my advice for a runner is when I go buy new running shoes, I can spend an hour in the running shop. I, I will just get a whole range of shoes down, go for a run in the shop because most running shops have a treadmill in 
Um, yes, they'll they'll try and feel me running, but I just I just yeah, I just don't pay attention to that, and I just pick whatever ones I feel most comfortable and go with that, um, and that's how I select my shoes. Um, and that's what my advice would be is to new runners. If you're just starting getting into running, you don't need to have a gait analysis. Um, my biggest tip would actually be the most thing you do need to do is make yourself make sure you're strong enough to run in the first place. Um, just because um, I think the biggest thing runners don't do enough of is strengthening exercises. Um, so yeah. I'd, if you're a runner, I wouldn't worry about a gait analysis. I'd worry about picking a set of running shoes that fit well and are comfortable and make sure you're doing regular strengthening exercises at the same time and then make sure you're not progressing your mileage too quickly. Um, I think gait analysis is useful when you start getting injuries or niggles um, and that's where I think the, the 2D can be helpful but for me personally that's where I think doing the 3D gait analysis um, just takes it to a whole new level um, for me um, personally and I, I, I thought I had a really good understanding of how the lower limb functioned during running however when I got my 3D gait analysis kit I realised I actually knew nothing um, because about your, about your own running. I know uh, about about running in general. I, yeah. I, I thought as a podiatrist who's half of his MSc, I thought I had a good understanding of lower limb biomechanics. Um, okay. However, then I got a three D gait analysis system, and it's a whole new learning curve because the thing I realised is that every single person runs differently. There's no correct way to run. There's no wrong way to run. And everyone responds differently to every scenario. So I can show you runners where they will just, everyone, like you think, um, okay, you, you look at someone standing and your foot does X, Y, and Z. Um, that has no correlation to what happens when you run. Or if you watch someone walk, that has no correlation to how you, to how you run. So I, I, in clinic, I've given up predicting how people are going to run because we just can't predict it until you watch someone physically, physically run. And the, the reason I use the 3D gate system is because it's actual physical data. It's not my opinion of how you're running. It is objective data. It is we stick a load of markers on you, and this is what is happening. It's not. I think this is happening. I think that's happening. It is. That is what is happening. Um, but not every not every runner needs that. If I've got a runner coming in who, when we ask, we go through their history and they've gone from running 20 miles a week to 60 miles a week, they don't need a gait analysis. They need some education on how to train better and not overtrain. Um, a gait analysis won't fix their problem. Education will fix their problem. So again, it's gait analysis is useful, but it's using it at the right time in the right scenario. Um, and you then pick whether you do 2D or if you do... 3D. Obviously, we do more 3D in clinic because that's what we have access to. Um, but I'm, I'm. Is that the future? Should have, will everyone? Will all the stores have 3D? Do you think? Or... Um, I don't think the stores will because it took me an eight. It took me at least eighteen months to actually understand how to then interpret the data from it. Um, okay. So I don't think the running stores will ever get down to a point where they'll have a proper 3D mm-hmm. um, gait analysis um, marked system. Um, but again, it, even if you had a 3D gait analysis, but if the clinician doesn't know what they're doing with regards to interpolating results, then it's not that useful. So again, it comes down to 
making sure the person doing your gait analysis 2D or 3D actually understands what they're seeing. It is, and there are certain things like if you want to work on your cadence or work out how your foot's landing or whether you're landing with a bent knee or a straight knee, you can do that with 2D very reliably. And there's evidence to support that actually doing stuff like that, 2D is just as good as 3D. Um, so I, I don't want, even though I we mainly use 3D, I don't want to paint the picture that 2D is bad because it's not. Um, it's just using the right tools at the right time. And for us and the patients we see, we find 3D works better for us in our hands. Mm-hmm. Cool. That makes sense. So uh, what's your, um, I was looking through your website before you came on. Yeah. We, we, and we could be talking, sorry to go back, we could be talking about that. It, it'd be great to have some debate and get some uh, some people to chat with you, you know, who really believe that people should have it at the beginning of their running journey. Yeah. And, yeah, perhaps we should do that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all, I, 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 yeah. I, I like a nice debate. It's, um... yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, I was having a look at your website. What, yeah. t- tell me about your zero to 40 program. I, I, I'm really interested in this because I've, well, I, I think there there is only really the couch to 5k that's yeah, out there. There is people into running. And, so, um, the reason it come about was actually one of my staff members done the couch to 5k and got injured at week six. Mm-hmm. And then we, we then we then started looking through our previous notes, and we had about six or seven patients that had done the couch to 5k that all were injured at the same time. And we were like, okay, so this is about eight or nine people in total now who have got injured all at the same time. This is, is this more than a coincidence? Um, so we were looking at the data and we put it, the couch to 5K through the acute chronic workload ratio. And it does spike up over 1.5 at that week five or six mark. And I think that's why some people um, get injured. And then I was speaking to a few runners on Facebook and and just doing um, a bit Google search and looking at different forums, and I was finding out that more and more people were getting picking up injuries at that stage. Um, so that's what I just thought. Oh, okay, maybe the couch of five k is too progressive. Now, not everyone who does the couch of five k gets injured. There are many people that do it and get through that process. Um, but I, I do believe that it is slightly, it does progress you too quickly in that round from week five to six. And that's why we see some people pick up injuries. And then the others that don't are just lucky and just carry on okay. Because once you then get past, basically, when we looked at the couch, if you get past that week to five, six, then as a rule of thumb, then you're going to be okay for the rest of the program because it doesn't push you up as quickly. Um, and then when we were speaking to our, our patients in clinic who have just taken up um, running. And for me, I don't give a monkey's whether you started running at the age of 12 or for you, I've got patients who only took up running once they retired. To be honest, to me, as long as you got a, as long as you got a passion for being active and you want to do more, I don't care how old or young someone is. As long as they want to go do something, as long as they want to run, I'll happily yeah, help anyone. Sure. So then we then thought, well, actually, when we speak to these people, they don't sort of say, oh, I go run 5K, I go run 10K. They sort of say, oh, I'll go for a half-hour run. I'll go for a 20-minute run. And a lot of these novice runners seem to just... It's time-based. Time-based. Hmm. So then we thought, well, actually, let, let, can we create a program? And we only come at a zero to 40 because um, 
that will then get most people around 5k in in 40 minutes of the um, and it's a 16 week program um that we made sure using the acute chronic workload ratio it doesn't progress you too quickly um now, is this to get people active yes from who have done nothing for 40 minutes or is it to get them running for 40 minutes is it moving what's yeah so so the aim is to get someone who so it's twofold it's either you haven't run before or the other people it's useful if you the other two types is if you've been off from an injury for a long period of time or it's used to run when you're younger and then life got in the way and you had 10 years off running or something and then you got back to running this is what this this is aimed at and it's aimed at just getting people more active um because i am as you'll see from all my branding and website stuff, I have a massive passion for promoting exercise. And because I, I think if you're going to talk about the best medication in the world, exercise is better than any drug for managing lots of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this program is there just to help people get from no running whatsoever to 40 minutes of running and help yeah. reduce their chance of picking up an injury. And this and does this encompass? So you you mentioned that there, Doctor Tim's tool again. Then didn't yeah. You? So th- this has been built. What with with you uh, managing load? Is there strength exercises within this? Is yes. There, so then the other thing is is that the, the Couch of Five K lacks, in my opinion, is a is an exercise program to go with it. So I'm a big believer that if we look at the research, we know that runners who do regular strengthening exercises can reduce their risk of getting an injury of up to 50%. Um, so if you look at reducing your risk of injury, there's no better way to do it than working on just getting yourself stronger. So what we've done with the program is each week has its own little exercise program attached to it. And the aim of the exercise program is it can be done in the comfort of your own home. It will take you, each exercise takes you no longer than two minutes. So we want people to encompass doing the exercises while brushing their teeth, whilst making dinner, whilst putting the kettle on. Because I'm a, I'm a big believer that in modern day life, money isn't the biggest commodity. Time is. We're all time poor due to work. Um, unfortunately, I think technology makes us more time poor because we're constantly contactable on watches and phones and everything. Um, so if I say to someone, unless you're going to the gym, if I say to someone, oh, you need to spend a half hour at the end of the day to do some exercises, I, I can guarantee everyone will have the best intention, but a very small number of people will do it. However, if I can say, here are two, three exercises to do, do them throughout your day-to-day routine, people do it. And then when people do it and they see the benefit, they then want to do more. Um, Give me an example. What do you mean? Is this, this calf raises while you're doing the yeah, washing up? Or, yeah, it's yeah. calf raises while you're doing the washing up. It's um, doing bridges maybe when you first get out of bed in the morning. It's doing... Um, what I call lateral band walks, maybe whilst you're waiting for the um, kettle to boil. It's doing anything like that. Be, be creative um, with it. Uh, and then the aim of the exercises is then as you get better at them, you then make them harder and harder and progress those forward. Um, and so, yeah, so the aim of the zero to 40 is to get people active, but try and reduce how many injuries people pick up on the way. Um, because don't get me wrong, I, I, I have a private healthcare business, so we obviously make a living from seeing people that have got injuries, but all our aims of everything are to, we, we basically would rather not see people because they've got no injuries, so 
at the end of the yeah. day is um, we're always going to have plenty of work because the more active you are, people are going to get niggles and injuries and whatnot. But if we can reduce people's risk of getting those, I think that's a really helpful thing. Yeah, um, my I, my local physio, he's he's, he's very good, and he, he often says that um, you know a good physio, uh, and in your case, a podiatrist won't just fix you; they'll actually. <laughs> You know, they won't just fix the problem. They'll tell you how to stay fixed or, you know, or give you. 100% agree with that. We aim to discharge all our patients. Um, don't get wrong, they can phone back any time they want. But the aim is just to manage the problem they got and then educate them how to prevent it all happening again as best as we can. Um, because look, I, I, I love my exercise. Um, and I know that if I'm not exercising, I get massively grumpy. And with modern day life, the amount of people that use running just to help manage their own mental health um, helps manage depression and stress around work. And if you say to a runner, you can't run, it says, I, I reckon I could have shot them and they wouldn't have taken that as badly. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's true. It's it, true. Is. Yeah. It, it is. Um, so it's, if we can do things to try and reduce the risk of them getting injuries in the first place, then they're happy because they can carry on running. So it's a it's a win win for everyone. Cool. Okay. So f- final thing then for me, Nick, is that we we get asked this a lot, and I think it came up as well when you were um, when you were on the hour a few weeks ago. Yeah. Blisters. Yep. How do you treat them? Do we pop? Do we not? <laughs> you know, so, as a general rule of thumb, if they're not painful, leave them alone. Um, the reason being is that. Yes, the risks are low, but if you pop a blister, you, you do create a portal for possible infection. So whilst the blister is intact, it's a nice sterile field within there, and the body over time will absorb that fluid and the blister will slowly shrivel up and disappear. Um, however, if it's painful, then the advice is to pop them with a sterile needle, um, and then stick a dressing um, over the top um, of them. It is the best. But if you want to try and um, prevent blisters, in my opinion, the biggest thing is making sure your footwear fits. Um, you'll be amazed the amount of people that don't wear the correct size shoes. Should, should uh, they be half a size up? That's another... Yeah, I think that's a myth, if I'm honest. Um for me, advice again what's comfortable like you were saying before yeah it's comfort and it's fit so the majority of people that will come in and say oh, I'm a half size bigger than my running shoes than my day to day shoes their running shoes fit perfectly however their day to day shoes are too small um, <laughs> so it, it is you should be having when you stand up your toes shouldn't be bulging over the side of your shoes and you should have a thumbs width between your big toe and the end of your shoe and that's the same for regardless if it's your work shoes or whether it's your running shoes um the issue with the sizing system is flawed because every manufacturer will um have their own sizing chart that they'll adhere to so if you look at a brooks or if you look at a nike or if you look at an adidas for example and you buy a size 8 shoe they all will be different sizes um so that's yeah, why there's, I a might... de- there's a definite outbreak of um you know the wider toe box shoes as well so i think of ultra and people yeah yeah, ultra are the widest, and then if you want another wider fitting shoe, you're looking at your Brooks or your New Balance. As a whole, Adidas tend to come up slightly narrow. 
in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it's just finding that that shoe that fits for you. Yeah. Cool. Next has been great. Thank you very much. No problem. Yeah, it's been no, really no, good it, to have it's, you on it's, it's been good fun, and hopefully, I can sort of um, dispel a few myths and not upset too many people on the way. <laughs> well, uh, it'd be yeah, it'd be great to have you on again, and then. Um... Yeah, we'll uh, if we get any questions on social, we'll we'll tag you into things and. Yeah, yeah, more than happy to come on do again, and more than happy to come on and have a debate with certain people if they want. So. Yeah, great. All right, Nick. Thanks very much. Perfect.